Hello, I'm Major Adrian Allman. And I'm Captain Claire Allman. Welcome to the Birmingham Citadel Salvation Army podcast series. Birmingham Citadel is a Christian church located in Birmingham City Centre in the UK. This podcast is a recording of the Bible message that is shared during the Sunday worship service. You can now watch our service online through live stream at 10.30am every Sunday morning and can also find our stories and videos on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. It's good to have you share with us and as you listen we pray that God will speak to you. May you know God's abundant blessing today. Paul couldn't easily forget the saints that he'd met and interacted with in Thessalonica. And so you get this whole idea in these opening verses of this letter to the Thessalonians. Paul's initial meeting, the, 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 the reason he came to be in Thessalonica in the first place, is described in the book of Acts chapter 17. If you've got your scripture with you, why don't you turn to Acts 17 with me? It's going to appear on the screen. This is Paul's second missionary journey that we read about in the book of Acts. And here in Acts chapter 17, we hear about how he ended up in Thessalonica. So let's give a bit of background to the Thessalonians by reading of how the gospel came to Thessalonica in the first place. When they passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue. As his custom was, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Christ, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and not a few prominent women. But the Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the others before the city officials, shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here. And Jason has welcomed them into his house. They're all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they put Jason and the others on bail and let them go. As soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas away to Beria. Paul's arrival in Thessalonica was crucial for the spreading of the gospel and the spreading of Christianity around the world. In in its day, Thessalonica was a vital transcontinental passage. To the east, routes led from there into the rest of Europe, and and to the west, routes went into Asia. And so it's quite central. And if Christianity could establish itself in Thessalonica, then its spreading to other parts of the world was almost guaranteed. As we read that little story, the most noticeable thing that we read there was that actually Paul didn't spend very long there. It said he spent three Sabbaths, three weeks. That was the only time, according to this gospel, that he spent there. 
Actually, scholars think it's a little bit longer because when Paul writes to the Philippians, he actually thanks the Philippians for sending him aid and help on many occasions whilst he was in Thessalonica. Well, if you think about it, three weeks to be sent aid many times in three They didn't have Royal Mail next day delivery in those days, so it must have been a little longer than three weeks. But what we are told is Paul's time in Thessalonica was not long. It was a short period. But what an impression was made. What an impression was made. Paul's teaching dynamically transformed lives in such a way that it was noticeable. The resident Jewish leaders didn't like it, so they started a riot. And then we're introduced to Jason. No idea who Jason is. We don't read about Jason anywhere else. Highly likelihood is that Jason was Paul's host while he was in Thessalonica. It's highly likely he probably was somebody who was either God-fearing or seeking. Hence he hosted Paul. He might have already known about Paul. Being a host, you would think, well, perhaps he was wealthy, had a big house. Not necessarily the case. However, we are given an indication of his position when the riot starts. Because what happens, Jason's house is raided, he's dragged before the officials, and he has to pay a bond. That's what it says, a bond. Well, a bond in those days was was sort of like an agreement that if these people cause any more trouble or the church in Thessalonica causes any more trouble, I will pay you some money. To put up a bond in the first place, he must have had some kind of assets behind him. So this just gives you an idea of what it was about. The transformation in his life, never mind everybody else, there was clear transformation in his life. The gospel enabled him to be hospitable, generous, and actually being a risk taker. To be the one who hosted Paul at that time, when people didn't like it and were quite happy to kick off in a riot, would you have done it? Would you have said to Paul, yeah, you can stay at my house, the rioting in the street outside, but you're welcome to stay in my place. No, no, that was risk taking. Sadly, Paul and Silas ended up being smuggled out of the city at nightfall and they had to leave this fledgling church of only a few weeks. And in fact, Paul wouldn't go back to Thessalonica until the third missionary journey. And yet, from our reading of 1 Thessalonians, what do we hear? Paul just could not forget these people. He just could not get them out of his Mind Verses 2 and 3. We always thank God for all of you mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember you. Paul could not forget this little fledgling church. I'm not a great fan of evaluations. Have you ever completed evaluations? Have you ever done it for employees? It's even worse for employees when you've got to get there and you're in a supervision meeting and you've got to write your evaluation of somebody else. I hate it. I never know what to say. Do I be truthful? Do I be encouraging? How do I do it? Paul had no problem in doing an evaluation here. 
in these first few verses of his letters of the Thessalonians, we get an evaluation. You became imitators of the Lord. Verse 6. You welcomed the message with joy. Verse 6. Verse 7. You became a model to all believers. Verse 8. The Lord's message rang out from you. Hey, if I'd have got an evaluation like that, I'd have been a happy bunny. He was pleased with them. He was delighted with them. They were doing lots of things right. And having only spent a few weeks with them, he feared for their safety, for their very future. And so, such was his inability to forget these people, at the very first opportunity he could, he dispatched Timothy back. He said, we'll stay. Timothy, you get back to Thessalonica. I need you to get back there. Look after these people. I love the words he used at the beginning of chapter 2. We we didn't read it. He said, when we could stand it no longer. He was so worried, he couldn't stand it any longer. That is the impression these people made in his life. That he had to do something. So Timothy was off. The saints in Thessalonica left such a good impression with Paul, it was hard for him to forget them. And in remembering these saints, it helped him. Paul received encouragement. He received joy. He received satisfaction. In remembering the saints, Paul remembered God at work in making them saints. He remembered their personal transformation. And so it did something for him. And so this brings me to the crux of the message this morning. If their personal transformation made such an impression on Paul, how about us? Who's our personal transformation making an impression on? As we seek to grow into maturity as followers of Christ, we have to give attention to the development of our character. When Paul wrote to Corinth, he wrote these words that will appear on the screen. We all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is spirit. Paul was saying, we've got to constantly be developing character. We've got to constantly be transforming One of my favourite writers is a guy called Tony Horsfall. He does lots of retreats. Um, He's based up in Yorkshire. He's written many books. And in a book I was reading of his recently, he said this. God's priority is to make us like his son. And this is the purpose for which he called us in the first place. This transformation is something he does. But it involves a process with which we cooperate. And not just passively, but actively. Welcoming the changes he wants to bring to our lives and intentionally seeking character growth. You know, John Gowans, when he was our general, he issued in a mission statement that we still remember. 
he talked about growing saints. When John Gowans talked about growing saints, this was what he was talking about. The transformation of character into the likeness of Jesus. Tony Horsfall suggests that it's a, a partnership. God does his bit, we do our, our bit. So what does God do? What's God's side of the partnership in transforming us? Well, first of all, God works through in us through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the agent of change. The Holy Spirit is the one that convicts. He shows us where we are not Christ-like. But more than that, he shows us where we need to change. And he goes on to help us do that change, forming the life of Christ so that we can. What else does God do? God speaks to us through Scripture. This gives us the platform for change. This gives us the platform for change and transformation. How good are you at reading it? This shows us a new way of living. And do you know what? Engaging with the scripture is a relational exercise. This isn't Wikipedia on the shelf. We don't think, ah, I need to know what God's like. Let's go to the book. Ah. It's a relational exercise. When we read this, it becomes a relational exercise. It's not about seeking a reference book. And we need to put ourselves under the scrutiny and discipline of the scripture and be willing to make any necessary adjustments. And that's where often it falls down. How else does God help us in this transformation? Well, finally, God uses the circumstances of life to transform us. You think about your life. The places that your character has changed most. It's been through the circumstances of life. Many of those difficult places. It's the same for the characters in the scripture. God is always at work in the events of our lives to change us and shape us. Transformation is something God does. So how do we cooperate then? Well, first of all, we practice spiritual disciplines. We place ourselves in the way of grace. Have you placed yourself in the way of grace this week? You probably think, what does he mean by that? Well, studying the Bible, praying, being part of a Christian community, worshipping regularly, giving, serving others, they're all ways of drawing close to God. These are practicing spiritual disciplines. And these are channels by which the grace of God flows. Secondly, how else do we cooperate? Well, we stop and reflect. I'm rubbish at stopping. I've been on that many courses telling me I need to stop. And I know it's true. I just don't do it. Because we're active people, we're so busy that actually we, we feel we have to be active. No, actually, if we're going to transform, there needs to be place in life to stop and reflect. By examining our lives before God and listening to his voice, we seek to know ourselves as people 
and we seek to understand who we are in Christ. The discipline of reflection pays dividends for anybody who wants to be spiritually transformed. Just go back over your last seven days. Where was your stopping and reflecting in those seven days? Now think about your seven days to come. Where's your stopping and reflecting going to be? Finally, we cooperate with God in this process of transformation by meeting with others who are followers of God. I do believe transformation can happen in isolation. There's plenty of monks, there's plenty of Christian classics where they've written pages of how they've been transformed in solitude. doesn't happen for me like that, I'm afraid. I need to be in relationship with God and other people in order to be stimulated, challenged, and comforted and encouraged. I can't do that on my own. So let's just stop there to reflect, shall we? I want to ask you a few questions this morning. Can you describe one aspect of your character that's changed for the better since you became a believer? And considering what part God plays in transformation, how have you seen God at work in your life? What are you presently doing to aid the process of change? What are of your character? What area of your character would you most like to see changed as you desire to be Christ-like? What area of your character? I am greatly um, in awe of the people that during the last 18 months have done change in their life. And actually we see it as we're coming back together. I have to say to you, and, and this is in, in no sense anything about those that have changed diet and exercise, who look so well for it. Callum White, I have no idea how you've done it, but I am envious of you. But actually, it's all right talking about change unless it's matched with action that brings it about. I'd like to do couch to 5K. I've got this real desire to do it. But actually, unless I actually do it one Saturday or something like that, it's never going to happen. It just remains a good thought. And you know, godliness and holiness is exactly the same. We can all desire to be godly, but unless we're going to do something about it, that's all it remains. This week, as I picked up Rosie for school, from school, she was talking to me about a, a music day. And she was talking about Mr. Taylor. Who? You know, Mr. Taylor. Who's Mr. Taylor? I don't, I've never met Mr. Taylor. You have! He plays in the band, Dad. Oh, you mean Dave. Because he's a teacher at her school, for her, 
he is Mr. Taylor now. No longer is he Dave who plays euphonium in the band. He is Mr. Taylor. But one of the things she was telling me was that she's joined the band. She doesn't have lessons with Dave at school because she has lessons here with Keith. Uh, but Dave's encouraged her at the school to join the brass band that he takes on a, a Friday lunchtime. And in introducing her to the rest of the band, he said to the, the band, this is Rosie. She learns to play tenor horn at our church. And so she's joining us. And Rosie said to me as we were walking, he told everybody that I go to church. And I just said, well, that will now help you make a better impression, won't it? Do you know what? I'm trying to be a saint. I'm trying to be one of those growing saints that Gowans talked about. And I guess the best indicator as to how I'm doing is the simple question, how will people remember me when they've met me? What will be the lasting impression they have of me? I'd like it to be the same as Paul had of the Thessalonians. That I will be a, verse 6, imitator of God. That I will be the kind of person who welcomes the message with joy. That I will be, verse 7, a model to all believers. Verse 8, that I will be the kind of person where the message of God rings out from me. That's the impression I want to give. It's so important when we think about that. How are we going to, what kind of impression are we going to leave with people? Are we going to be people who are imitators of God, who are transformed spiritually into the character of Jesus and reflect that character day after day? Paul, when he wrote that opening words to the Thessalonians, he said this in verse 5. You know how we lived when we were among you. You know how we lived. Oh, that the world will know how I live for Christ. I want to finish just with a little verse, really. On our holidays during the summer, we went into York Cathedral. It's a beautiful place. The great York window and all those other things. But you can't help but, when you go into these places, be marvel at the stained glass. Well, the sun comes in. The colours shed their light all around. Keith Green, the great Keith Green, taken from us far too early, wrote a, a song based upon Matthew 5, and it was called Stained Glass. And this was one of the verses of it. We are like windows stained with colour of the rainbow set in a darkened room till the bridegroom comes to shine through. Then the colours fall all around our feet over those we may, colouring all the grey that we see. Rainbow colours of assorted hues. Come exchange your blues for his love that you see shining through me. The Thessalonians were people for whom Christ shone through their lives. They left a good impression. I want that to be the same for me. How about you? How is Christ reflected in your character today? What impression 
are you leaving? What impression are you giving? How are you shining amongst people? Like the Thessalonians, it's a simple prayer that I make. Lord, in my life, be glorified in everything I do. May my character be transformed all the time. You do it, but I've got to do my bit. So this morning, as we come to the end of our meeting, let's just think about our character and how we shine for God. And as we sing just a little chorus, it's an old chorus now, but it seems to sum it up really well that it simply says, in my life, Lord, be glorified. Be glorified today. I simply ask you how the character of Christ is dwelling in you. What impression are you leaving? May it be the glorification of God in every way. sing you might just want to come and share a a much more solemn prayer at this place of prayer our mercy seat where we just meet with god there's nothing mystical about the place it's just a place where grace flows that's all and it may be that in the quietness of this morning you just want to recommit to making your character transformational to leaving an impression i certainly do together. In my life, Lord, be glorified. John just carries on playing. I want you to close your eyes. For the saints in Thessalonica, they made an impression on Paul that he just could not forget. He could not forget them. Such was the character of Christ that he saw in them. He was concerned for them. Christ dwell in your heart today.
just the first verse in my life, Lord, be glorified. Father God, we thank you that you, your prime purpose for us is to be transformed into the likeness of your Son. It's you that do it. It's you that do the transformation. It's the Holy Spirit who convicts. It's the scripture that guides. It's our interaction with each other in church that, that helps refine our character. And yet we recognize we've got to do our bit as well. We've got to want to change. We've got to desire to have a much more Christ-like life about our person. And so this morning, as we just come at the end of our meeting, with open hands and open hearts, we say, Lord, in our lives, may you make a difference. May we make an impression for you as a result of you shining through each and every part of our being. Lord, may we be Christ-like. Help us to do it. Amen. And amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast this week. So you don't miss any further recordings, please subscribe to this podcast and also share and review it to help other people find and join our Birmingham Citadel online congregation. This has been a production for Birmingham Citadel Salvation Army in the United Kingdom. If you'd like to know more about us or want to worship with us, then visit our webpage at birminghamcitadel.co.uk.